Having failed to retrieve the time machine parts, Mark and Danny ignore the problem and play with their new toys. Supercluck must take matters into his own talons. Check out Stretch! Kill that Boglin, Armstrong! You cannot defeat my Boglin, for its eyes move with a flick of my fingers! <laughs> Supercluck? Hey, what's up? Uh-huh. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. You're right. So, you're gonna go get the parts? On the planet Zanzibar, Supercluck finds the mercantile. Time machine parts. Time chicken chow. Stuff and junk. Golden hen statues. What? I'm running a legitimate business here. Don't call the cops. I'm leaving right now. Don't worry, I won't come back. Thanks for your business. Come again. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, your majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Helming Power Hour. Welcome back to episode 57 of the Hail Ming Power Hour. And we're going to have a good time talking about a movie that you might not have heard about in a while, and you're about to hear a whole lot about now. So before we get to that, though, we have to talk about something that's a little more serious. Um, yes, uh, we do like to try and keep things a little more upbeat on the show here. Uh, however, as Danny mentioned, we have a serious note that we have to discuss. Um Due to recent events behind the scenes of Hail Ming Power Hour, uh, it has led us to have to read this prepared statement. <clears throat> At the beginning of every episode of Hail Ming Power Hour, we take time to address the sponsors, without whom we would not be able to bring you this show. It is with a heavy heart we must state that the trust put into us by the sponsors has been abused. Funds for the time machine upkeep have been grossly mismanaged. We publicly apologize to our sponsors, the Zanzibar Trade Union, and our fans. On orders from the Council of Time Council and Redundancy, all financial decisions of the Hailming Power Hour are now under the direct authority of our new Chief of Financial Officer, Supercluck. Yeah, I hear you there, buddy. Oh, I understand. Once again, sorry about all that. So anyway, now that we've got that behind us, let's go ahead and get into the episode. And we think you're going to enjoy what we have for you now. We're going to have a fun episode here. Um, but first, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. The Hail Ming Power Hour is brought to you by Thornton Mellon's Tall and Fat Store. For the person who looks at the menu and says, Yes! And loyal followers of Mongo like you. Hail Ming! Yeah! 
Uh, we're going to have a fun episode for you in order to bring it to you. Uh, we have to go back in time to the year the movie came out. Our movie, of course, this week, Brotherhood of the Wolf, also known as Le Pacte de Lupas. That's a French film that wears many hats. And we're going to have a, uh, a quick synopsis of that movie and then get into some sponsors. Hey, yo, this is the bad guy, Reza Ramon. And I'm here to talk to you about Brotherhood of the Wolf, also known as Le Wolfpack de NWO. It's about these two jabronis named Defans and Manny Faces who are hunting the Wolfpack for the King, Jerry Lawler. After pulling into a McDonald's and beating down some clowns, they get their Happy Meal made up of a furry trout and a case of whoop-ass. And then they head to the capital of France, Quebec. From there, the Fonz falls in love with the Wendy's girl, but winds up sleeping with the sister of Jim and John, Monica Bellucci. After cornering the monster, Defans rips off the monster's hood to show it was many faces. Thus his brother becomes the brother under the hood of the wolf. Because when you're a wolf pack, you're a wolf pack for life. Well, I feel like I watched the movie again just from that little synopsis. As you know, upkeep for a time machine, and as we mentioned earlier, these things can cost money, and time machine parts are not cheap. What's our first sponsor, Mark? Our first sponsor coming to you this week is Britches and Hose, your one-stop shop for gardening tools and apparel. Where's my britches at? And I have a commercial from a sponsor. Uh, they have maintained their sponsorship of our show for quite some time now and it goes a little something like this well hey are you new in town about five eight never you mind it ain't too soon to plan for the great beyond here at coffins 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 we really nailed down prices <laughs> we have better than cadaverage wares so, you can get morgue than you asked for. <laughs> Finances dead on arrival. Look into our post-mortem gold teeth and fancy threads plan. By the way, I like your shoes about my size. Coffins, coffins, coffins. Round here, we earn our keep. No bones about it. It's always good when we have returning sponsors. <laughs> yeah, although that guy's creepy. Uh, a bit, yeah. But still buy from him, yes. Our last sponsor is The Mercantile. Your one-stop shop for Time Machine Parts and Time Chicken Chow. A proud member of the Zanzibar Trade Union. And uh, and it's also a favorite of Super Clock. Yes, yes. So uh, that's why we're making sure to get him top billing this week. So sorry again, Super Clock. <laughs> He'll be all right. Okay, it's time to go back in time to 2001. In order to do that, we are the only podcast on the network that has a time machine you ready to get in the time machine let's do this all right here we go Ooh. Yeah, that, that's running smooth yeah the door is dead hey not a bad ride yeah i, I kind of like how it sounds there plugging right along yeah Okay, let's take a quick look around. Are we in 2001? It looks like we're in 2001 to me. Yeah, and what's the computer say? 
2001. 2001. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay, gotta give props to Supercluck for getting the ship fixed there. <laughs> All right, well, let's launch right into it. So here we are in 2001 to bring you Brotherhood of the Wolf. Mark, what is your first reason? My first reason for watching Brotherhood of the Wolf is going to be the character of Manny, portrayed by Mark DeCascos. He is a strong, silent type that is, a, of course, a kung fu master, even though nobody knows what kung fu is at this point in history. He's a Iroquois native that accompanies the other main character along the journey, uh, the Franzak. And these two are blood brothers and are just bonded on a spiritual level, um, inseparable. When there's a bad guy around and things go sour, you definitely want Manny on your side. That's right. Uh, Mark DeCascos is a man's man and a woman's man. And as a friend of mine who is on the Facebook page mentioned when she found out we were doing this movie, she referred to him as an Iroquois ninja. And I thought that was a pretty awesome description of his character. Yeah, um, and my first reason to watch this movie is the fight scene in the rain where Manny and his compatriot, uh, Defronsac, are coming into town where there have been multiple murders and they're investigating. And they run into some unsavory characters who are dressed as women who refer to themselves as the drag clowns. And they, uh, you know, their, their turf is over on Coney Island. It's amazing. We have the drag clowns sitting right next to the hi-hats. Can you dig it? <laughs> yes, I can dig it. Helming. No, obviously they're not a gang, although they are soldiers dressed as women to try and entice the beast to come get them. And on the way, they've run into someone they're referring to as a thief and his female compatriot. And uh, they are uh, throwing down on him. And uh, I'll tell you right now, Manny and DeFranzac, they're having none of it. Although DeFranzac's hanging back and Manny's not having any of it physically. You find out a little later in the movie that uh, these people that are attacking these, uh, these thieves, the reason they're dressed as women is because they believe the beast uh, only attacks women and children. So they figure by dressing soldiers up in women's clothing will draw the beast to them and they can trap it. And the reason they're wearing clown makeup is because it's clown makeup. Enjoy it. Yeah, so, you know, that's a little backstory, but really the reason to watch it is because it's what you see in all the posters. It's the two guys wearing the tricorn hats in the rain with the collars up uh, over their faces, and they look gnarly, and the fight is cool. And it's just a reason to watch it because it is a period piece with kung fu in the rain. And, you know, how are you going to go with that? We also have a clip of uh, Manny, Mark DeCascos' character's first interaction with uh, one of the soldiers. Brilliant work there. He's, his acting is top-notch. All right, and I feel like I would be lax if I didn't mention that I used to own, I don't know where it is, but I used to own the director's uh, commentary version of this movie. And uh, I wanted to say that when Manny and DeFronsac are introduced, he, the director talks about this whole scene where, where they're going to get their purse stolen and they're going to run from the bright marketplace down into the dark tunnels beneath the town and beneath the great city. And the two of them are going to fight many men who come from all sides into this dark corridor. And then they're going to break away from these tunnels and, and the light is going to come over the, the mountains from the oncoming sunrise. And, and in that way, light will defeat darkness as the as the criminals recede back into the underbelly of the city. And, and then he said, but we didn't have the money for that, so we just decided to have them fight some guys in the rain. What do you think about fighting in the rain, kids? Yeah, that's the truth. All right, Mark, what is your next reason to watch the Pacte de Lupus? It would be one of the opening scenes of the movie where a young lady is... Uh, on the run from something, you don't know what yet. Um, she's trying to climb over a rock and get away from this thing that's chasing her. And 
at that point. Uh, I described it as Land Jaws Ragdoll's victim because she is thrown around like a toy. It is a very disturbing, frightening scene, especially when you don't even see the thing that is attacking her. And it's especially crazy because it, you know, you mentioned it looking a lot like Jaws. And uh, the, the fact is that at this point, the monster uh, off camera is being played by Roy Scheider. Hail Ming. It was one of his understated roles. <laughs> My next reason to watch the Brotherhood of the Wolf is the corpse. They are called in, as I mentioned, to investigate a number of murders that are happening on the lands nearby. And it's kind of a Hound of the Baskervilles kind of situation. The monster has been killing young women who are out on their own, children, men, anyone that is out on their own is a possible victim. And uh, when they go to investigate this murder, they find uh, a woman's corpse who is half in and half out of this pond. And I know that it's a dummy, but it is just incredible work. It is extremely disconcerting and looks very realistic. That leads directly to my next reason for watching is just the overall look French cinema has. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of French action, French sci-fi movies, uh, things like Portal and Brotherhood of the Wolf. Um, and it's got a way of looking very pretty and very dirty at the same time. Uh, Danny and I both kind of compared it to Terry Gilliam movies that had that same kind of... Uh, grittiness yet uh, sleek feel to them and this uh, corpse is a perfect example of that because they build a mannequin uh, character to have in this scene and it's just very realistic and the wounds are very realistic it's it's hard to watch at times yeah and i will say also that um they took some of their inspiration from captain chrono serial because there were definitely some alabaster bosoms. Who doesn't love their alabaster bosoms? Hail Ming. Maybe not in this case, because she is dead and she looks very dead. It's, it's a very disconcerting scene. For all of you horror fans out there, it's definitely a reason to check it out. The practical effects are really good and the digital effects are very good too. The creature is extremely well done and although it doesn't look perfect, its actions are extremely scary. Extremely scary, like Captain Chrono's peanut butter cereal as well. So make sure ah! you try that. <laughs> All right, what is your next reason after the corpse? <laughs> My next reason will have to be the Great Hunt. The people of this town are looking to stop the monster from uh, terrorizing them, so they organize the biggest hunt the region has ever seen. And they get so many hunters and adventurers and trappers and what have you to come and try and capture the monster or kill the monster I should say. Yeah you're right Mark and you know at this hunt there are guys with awesome coats. They have so many coats that they're wearing coats over their coats and all their coats have gold filigree because uh, they're all soldiers and generals and captains and whatnot. Um, there's also a point where Manny is getting his horse ready to go, and he runs into who? He runs into the lady that they saved at the beginning, who's kind of, um, she's she's kind of disturbed. And, you know, she's knucking with some, uh, some trappers that are over here. And uh, she's with the trappers. They're kind of these rough-and-tumble crew from outside the town. And, uh, you know, when the trappers introduce themselves, they actually, uh, they actually talk about their origins. And we have a clip of that. You guys don't even know what it means to be a trapper. Yeah. Tell them, French. I can catch a helpless animal, skin it with my bare hands. I wake up muddy and I go to bed bloody because I'm a trapping man. I can brave the nastiest weather, weather. even if it's ate it below. My paw was an elephant, but that's irrelevant. My maw was an Eskimo. So, yeah, you gotta love a trapping man. <laughs> gotta love a trapping man. Hail Ming. As stated, Manny has become enamored with this young woman that they found on the road and uh, stopped the soldiers from attacking her, which uh, I don't know what it, exactly it is he sees in her. 
uh, but something catches his eye and she is a uh, she is a disturbed character she's with these guys that have never really treated her well but it's all she's ever known and so she doesn't know what to do with Manny who's just trying to be nice to her and uh, leads into a in the next uh, moment I think for watching this movie which would be the pit fight yeah yeah and you know just in case you're getting bored with uh, hunts and the mystery about the monster and some love between a Native American and a gypsy Cossack trapper um, just in case all that is not your forte how about a little Kung Fu scarecrow because there, there's about to be a dialogue and at the end of that dialogue there's some kind of ruckus you look over and what's going on well Manny having made eyeballs at the uh, the young lady, has raised the ire of the trappers, and they uh, they decided to take their their double wolverine claw action and uh, and attack Manny. Each of the uh, trappers, they carry these uh, these blades that they can wear on their fists, that, and like Danny said, they look like wolverine claws. Um, they're just wild, crazy people, but uh, Manny is just a super kung fu master and just takes them all down uh, they start piling more and more onto them and he's just like bring it i can take whatever you throw at me uh, it's it's a really good fight scene i think you had an op description of that fight scene how did that go uh, yes i described it as manny versus gypsy wolverine pro wrestlers manny versus gypsy wolverine pro wrestlers I think that's all we got to say about it. You just need to go check it out. So my next reason to watch this movie, you know, as we were mentioning love and love triangles and trappers and Wolverine claws is the furry trout. Because they're having dinner and DeFronsac is regaling them with tales of uh, uh, the new world. And he tells them about this fish that he found uh, in the cold of the Canadian rivers and how it is a fish that has fur. And he has Manny come on over with a box and, and he shows them all this, this furry fish and they all stroke it and say, isn't nature wonderful? Quick little side note, which I just found interesting. He makes a big deal about Manny being his equal, not his valet. But when they're at the dinner, I notice that DeFranzac is at the table and Manny is sitting in the corner. <laughs> so I guess brotherhood only goes so far. <laughs> hey, well, you know, you got societal norms, and I guess DeFranzac has already pushed him as far as he's allowed to. So he's uh, talking about this uh, fish that he found that has fur on it, and he produces it for everyone to see. And it is uh, it is a good effect. It, they, it looks like a furry fish that in this box, and everyone's talking about how amazing it is and how cold it must be up in the... Canadian rivers, except one guy at the table is DeFranzac's rival, and he's just like, I don't believe you. And his family is telling, oh, I apologize for my son. He he has no manners. And DeFranzac's like, no, no, your son's quite astute. I'm I'm playing a joke on all of you. <laughs> and it's a weird scene, like, but it's definitely one that I remember from seeing this movie years ago, is that um, for no real good reason, he dupes this entire group um, into believing that he's got this furry fish and uh, you know really just to tell them that they can't believe everything that they hear and you know uh, Marianne the lovely um, love interest of DeFrancac she steps up and says so what's the point here that we're all a bunch of uh, idiots is that what you're telling me and he kind of says yeah yeah so since we're here talking about this great dinner scene, uh, I think that's going to lead us into a new segment that we're going to uh, talk about a little bit uh, here on Hailming Power Hour called Cooking with the Macho Men. <laughs> Cooking with the Macho Men. this French movie. It's time to make a tasty meal here in the Macho Kitchen. Yeah, there's a lot of great French cuisine out there. 
but we're making skitty because frog legs are for chumps. Good point, macho man. Everyone who's not a chump likes noodles and sauce. Dig it! There ain't no food in these cabinets! You can just boil the tears of the Heart Foundation fans after they get suplexed at the Royal Rumble next week. And I can take this frying pan here and bust it over Hulk Hogan's bald melon. Join us next week for more cooking with the Macho Man. Oh yeah! Macho, Macho Man! I just want to apologize to our listeners for that last segment. I had I had no idea. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's funny what happens when you get some macho men together. I didn't even know it was possible. <laughs> no, I mean, who who could have known? Okay, so another reason to watch Brotherhood of the Wolf, uh, leading into that dinner scene, um, along the walls of the mansion. Uh, there's some statues of half-naked Greek women, and they all have goat heads. I don't know if this means anything, but check it out. Hey, every French God-fearing household should have a set of goat-headed naked women statues. I think it's somewhere in the rule book. My next reason to watch Brotherhood of the Wolf, or Pact de Lupus, as I have said once before, and will say again, is a big old pile of wolves. Again, we're talking about practical effects here. And after this hunt, they have rounded up all of the wolves from the nearby forest and killed them all. And, uh, you know, not since uh, not since Dances with Wolves have I seen such a, a gory and, uh, and realistic uh, result of a movie hunt. And it's really disturbing. If you're somebody who really loves canines, uh, dogs, wolves, what have you, this is going to be a hard scene for you to watch because it is very realistic and they have just all these wolves stacked up. It's it's heartbreaking. It really is. Um, I'll have to say my next reason for going into, uh, going into this movie uh, would have to be the aforementioned Marianne. She's a lovely young lady that has caught the eye of the hero de Franzac. Uh, de Franzac is uh, a man who uh, he's been established as a libertine. He's somebody who enjoys many ladies' company. Yes, he does. Yes. Yeah. And I can't stress that enough. At the, uh, if you're thinking of a certain amount of women he'd like to be with, you're not even close. No. <laughs> he, but uh, Marianne is the good girl, which I think is part of the attraction. Uh, the woman he wants that he can't have there's something uh, about her that is very uh, sweet and caring and yet realistic too um, she's not mean to him she's not uh, uh, saying that she's better than anybody but she reacts as a, a woman should when uh, confronted by somebody who's just macking on her like, no, if you want to be with me, you're going to treat me with respect and you're going to win my heart. It's true. And, and as a fun side note, um, the way that Mark DeCascos' character got named in this is when uh, he asked uh, DeFranzac, you know, what what will you call me? And in the Iroquois language, it sounded a lot like, how many women do you bed in French? And uh, so DeFranzac said, Many. I, I bed many women, and, and that's why I named him Manny. Hail Ming. Not true at all. But speaking of betting many women, my next reason for watching this movie is the House of Ill Repute. I mean, not only is the House of Ill Repute, uh, I mean, like Mark said, it's dirty and pretty at the same time. The, the, the women are all attractive and are all very different. And it isn't, you know, kind of kind of gross like it probably would be in the Middle Ages because it's an upper-class establishment. But also, Monica Bellucci's there. Yay! Defranzac, uh, he 
been working all afternoon to try and get some time with uh, Marianne, who's just a beautiful redheaded woman who can wear a nightie like nobody's business. That's later in the True. movie, though. Um, and he's just has these uh, warm, romantic feelings towards her. But since he's not getting any physical love, he decides to visit Monica Belusi at this prostitute house. <laughs> right. And now Monica Bellucci, she's uh, mysterious. You know, he walks past all of the, uh, the the women who work at the establishment and in the back room, not even facing him, wearing a mask is Monica Bellucci. She is, uh, she's got the playing cards out in front of her and she's reading the fortunes and she tells him a bit about himself and then tells him that she's too expensive for his tastes or she's too expensive for him. And he says, I have plenty of money. And she says, no, I don't cost money. Uh, she's definitely a, a secretive and uh, pivotal part of the plot of this movie. Actually more pivotal than many of the characters uh, as the whole thing unfolds. She's uh, definitely a woman of mystery. She's, uh, as Dan said, she plays a bigger role in the movie than you'd expect her to. And she goes straight up Angelina Jolie on him by pulling a knife in the bedroom. It's kind of freaky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She lets it be known that uh, she will not she will not suffer him lightly if he is going to make uh, any kind of problems for her. And, uh, you know, she gets, she gets on the train pretty fast. You know, they're, they're going at it pretty soon after the meeting. But uh, also, she puts that knife to his throat. You know, she lets him know that, you know, she's got needs too. And uh, she's not just a lady to be put in the corner. Although she's okay with being the lady on the side. <laughs> That's a very apt description. <laughs> Thanks. I really came to my own in the break. Uh, my next reason for watching the movie will be Manny Pockets Money. <laughs> uh, they, uh... While they're at the hunt, uh, Marquis and DeFranzac have a bet with one another uh, on whether or not uh, Marianne will show up to the hunt. Uh, they're getting ready to go uh, go out on the hunt, and uh, it doesn't look like she's showing up, and Marquis's like, well, you owe me a gold piece. So DeFranzac pulls out the gold piece, flips it over to the Marquis, and before it can reach him, Manny reaches out and grabs the gold piece while it's still in the air and points off in the distance. And here comes uh, Marianne riding up in her cute little three-point hat and matching coat. And while she has a little conversation with the Franzak, you can't help but notice Manny pockets that gold piece. <laughs> he wasn't even involved in the bet, but he's like, uh-uh, mine now. <laughs> Yeah, he's, a, he's the keeper of the gold, and uh, you know I think that all bets should go that way, and I could be the keeper of the gold. Um, so, yeah, this segues into the hunt, and as the wolves are being hunted, the three of them find themselves to a, uh, a crypt in the middle of the woods, you know, an old church, and they talk about its history some, and uh, just for purpose of uh, explanation there, we do need to mention that at that point they run into a wolf that... Um, Defrontsack saves, and it's a it's a moment that uh, definitely points out the friendship between Defrontsack and Manny. They talk later in the movie about um, uh, Iroquois beliefs and uh, spirit animals and totems and things of that nature. And without it ever really being said, uh, you find out that Manny's totem animal is the wolf. So when they're out on this hunt, Manny's not taking part in the hunt. He's just accompanying his friend to try and find the beast and his friend is accompanying mary ann because he's a beast uh, oh nice <laughs> nice um, so while they're at this old temple oh, a wolf comes by and just stops and stares at him mary ann pulls out the rifle tries to shoot it and from like knocks it away the rifle goes off scares the wolf away and she's like well why did you do that it could have been the beast it, He's like, no, it's just a wolf. And after she walks away, uh, there's a very touching moment where uh, Manny just walks up to DeFranzac, looks at him, and just says, thank you. Uh, I thought that was a really good scene. Yeah, and uh, the next section I'm going to move into, the next reason to watch the movie, is a section that I'm going to call in, uh, in homage to MSD3K, Manny, you can do stupid stuff. <laughs> because uh, Manny, being a Native American, 
you know, they, they're talking about his, his backward beliefs and, and they're saying, oh, you know, he's got no religion. And DeFrancex says, well, they do have a religion. They believe in animal totems. Anyway, um, it's, it's kind of a rudimentary uh, understanding of Native Americanism. Yes, very creepy, cryptic, Native American religion type stuff. And Manny does a trick where he holds someone's hand and quietly ascertains what their animal totem is going to be. And he, you know, tells one man that he's a boar and he tell, tells one man that he's a snake. And uh, it's, it's kind of a, you know, Manny, come over here and, and do parlor tricks for these people kind of thing. It's a, a deep, deep moment in the film where Manny is showing his Native American powers by holding another person's hand, holding his hand over and says, your Delta Chi name is Mothball. Your Delta Chi <laughs> name is Brito. Hail <laughs> uh, Ming. Well, you know, and, and there's that point where he says, you know, your Delta Chi name is Flounder. It was a surprising moment. <laughs> uh, this will lead me into my next reason, uh, which would have to be Jean-Francois. Uh, Jean-Francois is the bad guy of the movie. He's the rival to uh, uh, to Defranzac. He's a very creepy character. Um, when you meet him, he only has one arm. At the scene where Manny is telling people what their totem animals are, he comes over, he's drunk, and he's like, you know, take my hand. Tell me what I'm supposed to be. Am I half an eagle? Am I half a bear? Uh, why don't you tell me I'm a lizard so I can grow my arm back? It's, and he's just a jerk. He's, and he gets even creepier as the movie goes along. Right. He's obviously the red herring. Uh, and spoiler alert. You can stop right now. Spoiler alert. He's a red herring and he's also the killer. I mean, pretty much. Yeah, they... They lead you to think one thing, and then they lead you to think, oh, no, we were telling you the truth all the time. This guy's the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, the real mystery is what the creature is, but he's definitely the he's definitely behind it. Now, it's true that he's not the only one, but regardless, uh, spoiler or not. Um, and I will say in that scene, it's, it's pretty funny because he goes over and he's like, tell me what I am. And Manny kind of looks at him like, I'm not going to do that. And then he just flies off the handle and backs into his mama. And he's like, get off me. You, you never love me anyway. It's just it's just ridiculous. Um, but, you know, moving on, I'd say the next reason to watch this movie, uh, I just have it, uh, is uh, Monica Bellucci is a witch prostitute. There's a really creepy scene where she first tells him that women of Florence keep their husbands faithful by feeding them poison and then making sure that if they don't come back for the antidote, they will get very sick on their nights away. And uh, DeFranzac's a little concerned by this. Um, you know, saying things like, oh, but you obviously wouldn't need that, would you? And uh, then, you know, later that evening, there is a nightmare sequence where he sees her over him with a knife in the mirror and wakes, you know, to a cold sweat to just find her uh, naked, supple form next to him on the bed. Ah! It's very creepy. It's, the word nightmare just really does apply to a scene like this because it it's a disturbing scene to look at. Uh, and I've noticed in a lot of these scenes here, uh, the scene as creepy and as weird as that reminded me of something like Nightbreed, which is appropriate because... I think it actually plays some of the music from Nightbreed in this movie, and then later plays some of the spaghetti western movies in a more action-packed scene, and then later plays some Predator music, so they're just like, we're just going to put everything we love into one movie. <laughs> and it was everything we love too, so <laughs> kudos to you, but you're just going to have to trust us and check out this movie, and uh, in the meantime, why don't you check out these skits? We here at the Hail Ming Power Hour wish to honor those legends of film who may not have gotten the recognition they so rightly deserve. These are the individuals 
who have forever changed and improved the cinema landscape, so we have created an award to show our appreciation. For the category of Lifetime of Kicking Ass Achievement, the Golden Clytus goes to Mark DeCascos. Today's secret ingredient is... Accepting on behalf of Mark DeCascos is Mark DeCascos Fist. Oh, son of a... I'll just take the damn award. Go. All right, all right. The wolf is dead. So we convene tonight to take group suggestions on a new Brotherhood mascot. Yes, Milton? Brotherhood of the Budgies. Of the what? Nothing strikes more terror than budgies in a swarm. You're wrong. Anything strikes more terror. Yes, Stuart. The Brotherhood of the Lion. We'd have to get another one, and that could prove difficult. We could use a wolf this time. Does anyone have any good suggestions? Maria? Don't have a suggestion, but I've got a question. Which is? Who put you in charge? What happened to the guy with one arm? He died. There was a vote. Now, does anyone have any suggestions? You, in the back, with the cloak. I was caught unawares, though I thought not of evil. I was caught in your stares. Your sly eye pierced my heart. I'm ensnared. Ho! Ho! I quit. You could have the Brotherhood of the Budgies. Welcome back to part two of the Hail Ming Power Hour. Oh, part two is a fun part where we're gonna go through the epic movie moment and remake it out. I thought we were doing French this week. Yeah. <laughs> also, another reason to watch, jumping right back in, the Brotherhood of the Wolf is all the killings. Every time there's somebody on the mire, every time there's somebody running across the country, there are a couple of women, there's a set of children that are being stalked by the beast, and uh, and all those are, are really well put together scenes. They're really tense and stressful and... Uh, well filmed and creepy. The next reason to watch Brotherhood of the Wolf, I will have to say, is the monster of Garotten, or is it? When the soldiers are not producing the monster, finding it, capturing it, or killing it, uh, they are quickly replaced with new soldiers who report directly to the king to clean up this mess. And they have gone out, they have shot a wolf, and they said, that is the monster, and we are going to present it to the king, and we're going to be done with this. Uh, Defranzak, of course, he looks at it and he says, this is just a wolf. This is not the monster. The monster is much bigger than this, has bigger jaws. He said, well, just use your taxidermy skills and make us a monster, because otherwise the king is going to be upset. Yeah, they're like, hey, you made a furry fish, dude. You need to make this uh, this this thing into the monster, and against his better judgment, you know, the Defronsac makes the thing you know, as commanded by the king, and uh, you know it's a it's a it's a cool monster, and they unveil it back in the palace, and everybody's really excited about it, but um, the real culprit of all these killings is still back there getting ready to kill again. 
So anyway, you know, as we've got this going on so far, we got Defronsac trying to make it with uh, Marianne. And we've got uh, people still getting killed, even though the king convinced them to uh, make up a monster, you know, just to get it off his back. And that is actual footage from the French Revolution, people. And so now that we've got you up to speed to perhaps the most exciting part of the movie, I think it's time for the epic movie moment. In this epic movie moment, you have a Native American in a loincloth and a death mask makeup. Chucking a rock at the beast. You have dropping the cage on the lion with the Triceratops skull helmet. Got a monster muscling out of a cage. We have separate swinging log spike trap. Monster drags a marquee by the arm. We have a thrown tomahawk. Monster taking bullets and crossbow bolts in stride. Dropping an ineffective gate. Manny tracks a beast alone. Then we have Manny versus the Trapper Army. Only the strong can kill the Wolverines. The girl gets the Iroquois ninja killed. Franzak finds a silver bullet in Manny. Defranzak becomes Le Ninja. Problem solved with a burning arrow. Defranzak leaps tall buildings in a single bound. Boot to the head. Kills everyone in the house. Slamming a face on a Gutenberg press. Yes, even you, surrendering guy. Finds the Texas Chainsaw home of Dr. Moreau. He sees the beast, Carpe Beastum. Makes it back in time to burn his friend at dawn. And that is the epic movie moment. So after the epic movie moment in which Defronsac becomes Le Ninja and kills everybody at the house on 34th Street with nothing but a uh, toothpick and a pair of binoculars, um, we move back into the plot and unfortunately you can't kill a whole bunch of uh, mofos without going to jail. So that's what happens. Yes, uh, Defronsac became Def Jam Vendetta and it didn't go down very well uh, for him. As one of the uh, villains, I guess you could say, in the movie states, you don't avenge a savage's death with Christian blood. So he's in trouble for killing a bunch of white people because they killed his friend. Yeah, we're swarthy people. Either way, um, I mean, obviously you can't just go around murdering people. It doesn't go over well. And although you had good reason, uh, you know, there's only so far being the taxidermist of the king and the gardener really can uh, support you. So they really just kind of crack down on that stuff, you know, lots of murders. Um, when they're in jail, uh, he gets a visit from uh, his favorite whore, uh, Monica Bellucci, who tells him that she's been a, um, a secret emissary of the Pope, and she's been watching this cult that's been doing these murders this whole time. Defranzak is being guarded by a hefty bald man who really, really, really seems to enjoy soup. He lets Monica Belusi into the, uh, the cell to reveal all this hidden drama and, and give him his meal. And it turns out that meal has been poisoned, which was, I guess, foreshadowed earlier by Monica Belusi in the bedroom. Yeah, you know, the French and their foreshadowing and their kung fu. You can expect certain things in French movies. And if it's Luc Besson, you can expect either, you know, DEA agents or space. Um, moving on, though, the next thing we're going to have to talk about is the fact that brotherly love goes a little bit too far in this movie. Yeah, you can, uh, you can love your sister, but doesn't mean you can love your sister. Turns out that Jean-Francois um, has been harboring some lusty wrong feelings for Marianne. His own 
Fister, people. <laughs> Settle down, French. <laughs> he comes to her and confesses his love, and she's like, no, no, get away from me. And he says, oh, I know why you don't like me. It's because of my arm, isn't it? And she's like, no, it's because you're my brother and you're weird. And, uh, so he uh, then reveals the big secret. His arm is still attached and he's been hiding it this whole time. <laughs> yeah, in a very total recall kind of thing, he's, he's got his arm tucked back behind him. He's like, I got all these kids to feed. Then he brings it forward and it's all gnarly and, and, and messed up. And she's like, that doesn't make me feel any better about this at all. As a matter of fact, it uh, makes me feel a whole lot worse. And then he wrestles her to the ground and does something to her that renders her unconscious and near death at the end of the movie. And we're not going to really think too hard on what that was. <laughs> now, the makers of the movie didn't, so I don't feel the need to either. But, um, you know, the very next thing that happens while all this is going down, you know, they're they segue into a cult meeting, you know, where everybody's patting each other on the back for having a monster that scares people into being God-fearing, and uh, and they're all hanging out in their masks with the red robes and talking about how great it is, and who should show up? That's right, Le Ninja, and this time he's wearing the Iroquois death mask that he got from his buddy by painting it on his face, and uh, and he drops down about 50 feet, lands on the altar, and he's all like. Phew. I don't worry about that stuff. I've been a free runner for years now. And he just goes to town. He starts calling them all out by name. He's like, I know who you are. And uh, and and he starts battling. I know who each of you are. I know you and you and you. And you know what? I'm just going to kill you all right now. <laughs> so, you know, they dispatch their trappers. You know, the, uh, the trappers from before. You remember the trappers. Like the trapping life. I'm better than the baddest sailor. I make love to women ten feet tall. I've got a chest of wonder and balls of thunder. I can break right through a wall. And they uh, have their Wolverine claws and they start swinging at him and he starts swinging back and then he beats them all. And then uh, John Francois comes out and he's like, by the way, I've got this ancient uh, bone sword that I've uh, precariously put in a sheath that's like in the front of my body under my robe. It's a weird old sheath, you know. Yeah. It's like, it's like a belt, and like a chest thing. So it's like, it's like, parallel to his spine, and it's like a spine sword. Everything he does is weird. It's true. He's, he's not right. That boy ain't right. <laughs> You're thinking, but how can one man defeat this entire cult of people? Oh, it's okay, because he goes and gets help from the old captain of the guard who got fired for not being able to produce the beast in time and he shows up with all his troops and just starts shooting into the crowd saying oh yeah fire me will you well i'll fire back at you yeah yeah it's, it's actually an awful lot like the uh the end of temple of doom where you know the the, the colonel shows back up with the uh the british army and they're, they're shooting everybody from the other side of the big gorge and at least it made me think of that it's not really the same but when everybody starts to scramble you know, they arrest all the aristocrats in their red robes and make sure to gun down all the trappers who are also trying to run away. You know, it's, there's still classes here. It's not the revolution yet. Moment during the fight that I feel remiss not to bring up is that uh, when all that's going on, the crazy gypsy girl is trying to get away, sneaking through the woods, and she runs into Monica Bellucci there in the woods, cloaked and mysterious. Crazy girl pulls out her knife and threatens her and with a quick motion of a bladed fan, cuts down the gypsy girl. And it's very satisfying, especially after she was directly responsible for Manny's death. That's right. Manny DeLuca. He owed me five bucks. <laughs> anyway, so... Yes, that's true, and and we have to make sure that Monica Bellucci gets all of the credit that she deserves for this, which is quite a bit. And also the Gypsy's uh, end is mentioned today, because, you know, she's been a thorn in the side of the heroes since the first frame, just about. And uh, 
In the meantime, there's a big old battle where uh, John Francois breaks out the uh, ancestral spinal sword, which is also a chain whip and a badly digitally affected thing, although it wasn't as bad as I remember, and uh, they get to battling. It is a cool concept for the sword. It's uh, made of bone, and it's uh, segmented, so he can pull it apart, and there's chain links between each, each point, so he can use it as a whip or a sword. And unfortunately, that becomes his downfall during the fight as uh, Defranzac uses that to his advantage to take out his rival. Yeah. So you know, once uh, once John Francois is defeated, and uh, that's all done, well, uh, Defranzac takes his buddy, the Marquis, and they go on down to the pit, and they talk to Santa Claus, and they find out that. The beast all along has been a lion that was raised to be an angry killing machine and outfitted with some weird armor, and uh, they go take it out of its misery. We got a lion in armor, lying around. They're all lying to each other because they're lions, which you don't realize until the end of the movie. It's a lion in armor. Yeah, that's right. So from the killing at the beginning all the way to the, to the creature getting killed at the end, the movie's really just between the lions. And the only thing scarier than a lion wearing armor is the guy that put it on him. <laughs> That's true. That guy was a creep. And uh, you can you can quote me on that. He's a creep. So moving forward into our next segment, which is the last segment in the show, not the last segment, one of the last segments, we have Top 5 Lines. Okay, so um, what is your first of the top five lines, Mark? My first of top five lines will be when the hunting party of Manny, Marquis, and Defranzac are in the woods trying to hunt down the, the creature. Defranzac and Marquis are sitting around pretty much doing nothing, chewing on some weasel that they found, and... Uh, uh, Manny is out preparing to fight the creature, and uh, the Marquis asks, well, where's Manny at? And he says, he's gone to talk to the trees. And he looks confused, and Manny comes back and says, trees speak. White man does not know how to listen. Yeah, and we want to apologize for not having sound clips, but as this is a French movie, and it's either dubbed or in uh, subtitles, we figured we'd just read you the lines this time. My next line is an exchange between Marianne and Defronzac, where Defronzac, trying to get into her pants, says, I'm not a libertine when I'm in love. And so she replies, well, that's ridiculous. We just met. And he quickly quips back, oh, you think I'm referring to you? Yeah, she, she rides off pretty huffy on that one. My next line is... Uh, during the fight scene between Jean-Francois and, and de Franzac, um, when uh, they're quipping back and forth during the fight, uh, he says, you can't win because the beast is immortal now. And he looks at him and says, it perhaps, but you're not. Oh, snap. And then he kills him. So it's true, too. So my next line is from Manny, who says, Tonight we dance the dance of blood. That's my last line. <laughs> it's right after the animal totem the conversation, yes. right? Yes, it's after the animal totem conversation. Uh, uh, someone asks Manny, are you able to reproduce with a woman of our race? Uh, Manny looks at him and says, all women are the same color when the candle goes out. Hoo! Take that stuff shirt. And that's it for top five lines. So now we have told you everything we need to know about the Brotherhood of the Wolf, the 2001 masterpiece from France. So I think it might be rating time. I will have to give this one 250 three-cornered hats. Nice. And I will have to give it three lions raised from cubs to be angry armored killers. 
And so, uh, let's see, what does, Brian Blessed, what do you have to say about this one? What is this? Madness! Uh, apt. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's another UK, and not like in the, uh, the movies from the continent. It, it's a fair opinion. We gotta give it to him. <laughs> uh, we're just gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So that's the idea, Chief. We take the same movie you loved as a kid, and we add a whole bunch of special effects and make it even better. What do you think? No. All right, so now's the time on our show where we decide remake or no. Are you ready? Good rhyme, man. You're a poet and didn't know it. Oh. <laughs> All right, so in this remake or no segment, we polled the audience, as it were. And uh, it wasn't the same as polling the electorate. <laughs> so what we found was that overwhelmingly, with 12 votes, people did not want to remake Brotherhood of the Wolf. I can't blame them one bit. I felt this one was good just the way it was, and it would actually be a crime to try and remake this one and make it more American. <laughs> we did have several votes uh, around. We, we had um, four votes for, or we had three votes for making the movie the same, although making Monica Bellucci 50 feet tall. Um, <laughs> we had fewer wolves, more Catholics. Uh, we had remake it, but with all the characters played by Mark DeCascos. Um, we also had a uh, hell yes, I'd love to remake it and make it more about the horror and less Kung Fu. Uh, and then we had one vote for make it less French. <laughs> so those are how we broke it down. And ultimately, I think we agree with you. We don't think that remaking this movie right now would make it any better. That's why our vote and your vote for remake or no goes to. Thanks, James Earl Jones. <laughs> Welcome back, Hail Minions. I appreciate everybody joining us uh, again this week. Uh, at the uh, beginning of the show, we made uh, some jokes about having to take things a little more serious. And, of course, you know, we did our bit. Uh, there is uh, one serious thing I would like to bring up at this time. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone here, myself, Danny, everyone who listened to the show is a fan of the Flash Gordon movie. And recently, uh, fortunately, it looks like we did lose actor Peter Wingrade, who played Clytus in Flash Gordon. Uh, Peter Wingrade was born in 1927. Um, he had many notable roles in his illustrious career on shows like uh, Jason King, Department S., Alexander the Great, he was in the uh, Avengers TV series, The Saint, I Spy, Doctor Who, and of course, as pre-mentioned, played Clytus in uh, Flash Gordon. Uh, Peter Wingrade was 91 years old when he passed, and he will be missed. And, and 91 years is no small feat, so he lived a full life, and yeah. you know, like you said, we, we like to keep things fun, and I hope that in the vein of entertainment, you know, we don't bring you down, but we're trying to give a little homage to someone who contributes to our show and will continue to. His voice is golden, and I don't mean that in a jokey way. And we appreciate all of you tuning in to another episode. I hope you had as much fun listening as we had making it. And don't forget to check out uh, Hailming Power Hour on SoundCloud and Legion Podcast. That's right. And check out the other podcasts on Legion because they always direct audiences to us and because we're all just there to entertain. You know, give it a try. Step out of your comfort zone. Check it out. See if it's something that you might enjoy on a regular basis because we're not out there to make money. We are out there to make people happy. So on that note, um, unless you had anything else you wanted to say, I just want to say Mark DeCascos rules. This is true. This is very, very true. Thank you, Mark, for kicking so much butt throughout the years. That should be it then. So 
For Hailming Power Hour, I'm Danny. And I'm Mark. And we'll talk to you soon. Picture this. Strangers enter a town. The place is alive with throngs of people, bustling and active. Suddenly, a thief snatches the purse of one of the men. The strangers give chase, following the cut purse to subterranean tunnels, where the thief's cohorts emerge from the shadows. The strangers fight, back to back, brothers in blood, but not in birth. All would seem lost after a valiant effort. Against overwhelming odds, they have fought all night out of the tunnels. The sun rises, and the assailants slink away. Darkness, defeated by light. This costs too much. Just have them fight in the rain. All right, everybody. Till next time, remember, actions speak louder than catchphrases. Good night, everybody. Receive the following Classic Curves by Biddos, The Pants for Feel Good Company, a gift certificate from Maru Chan Ramen Noodles, Rice Aroni. All guests receive a copy of the Hell Ming Home Game. Thanks to the creative minds and special appearances of Jeremy Finch and Jacob Kennedy. Hell Bing is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. Check out all the great shows at legionpodcast.com. Hell Bing is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Legion Podcast. This is Dan Pardo saying good night.